Welcome to another special edition of the Tiskin Podcast. Uh, this is another in my series of interviews with competitive Thousand Suns players. Uh, this time up is Jim Vessel. He is fresh off his win at Adepticon here in 2019, uh, which is a really exceptional uh, achievement. Uh, it's a big tournament. It's one of the big three here in the U.S., uh, he has predominantly been playing Thousand Suns and Chaos for a while. In fact, at LVO earlier this year, he was in the running for Best in Faction. Uh, so he's a really knowledgeable player, and uh, I tried to steer a little bit more towards uh, questions around Thousand Suns and playing Thousand Suns, um, even though he obviously includes other elements from Chaos in his list. Uh, so hopefully this gives you a little bit of uh, insight into how Jim plays uh, Chaos and Thousand Suns at the competitive level. Hope you enjoy. Jim, uh, first of all, congratulations on the win. That's a that's a huge uh, huge accomplishment. Thank you. It's a pretty pretty crazy accomplishment, and uh, I still don't really feel like I won. I guess I don't know. This is a, you got a bit of a weird feeling, like. I know it's been about a week now since uh, the tournament, and uh, it's been a pretty pretty crazy kind of, like, I guess I, I, this is my first Adepticon, and I've only really been playing competitive 40K for about a year. So when I, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was to win Adepticon until I did, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a big deal. So it's been pretty cool. So did it hit you, like, when you were, like, when the final match had finished and you realized, <laughs> hey, I just won Adepticon, or was it just kind of like, you know, you get home and you realize, wow, everybody's talking about your list, you know, how the matches went. I think it didn't actually really hit me till Sunday night because, so this was our fourth, our eighth game, sorry, in like 30 hours. Like you basically play four games, you sleep for seven or eight hours and then you play four more games. And then I had the team tournament the following two days. So as soon as I was exhausted that night, I think I had one, one beer maybe after the game and I went, went to bed and I got up and, Sure enough, right back into the team tournament, you know, and then uh, I don't think till Sunday night, like my phone started to blow up. Like, I think I have about uh, 5,000 more Facebook friends now than I did before. Um, <laughs> people are messaging me like I've never met, you know, so it was, just, it was pretty crazy. Like that whole like kind of explosion was probably what made it hit home a bit more than the actual game because, um, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about uh, Juice, who's my opponent in the final game. But we were just so relaxed during that game that like it never felt like a championship game it always just felt like, hey, we're just playing Garage Hammer. Like, we were just so relaxed and just, it was such a chill game that I never felt that pressure of, like, like that nervousness in the championship game, which is a, a testament to, you know, uh, the opponent. And uh, and I think uh, not being on stream probably helped, on the, helped in that regard as well, so. That's very cool. Um, so I'm going to try and you've already kind of gone over each of your matches that you've had on some other uh, podcasts. Uh, so I'm in, in this, I'm going to try and dig a little bit, um, a little bit differently on maybe some other topics here. So um, sure. your list, it, just as a refresher for folks who aren't familiar with it, your list is primarily kind of based around smite spam, right? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's the, the there's a few different threats. Um, the smites are obviously one. Uh, I first of all, I, I I take offense to the word spam because nothing wrong with spam, and uh, you know, I uh, I definitely feel like uh, you know the smites are a big part of it. The thing to understand though, there's only really four smites in the list. Um, the rest and four smites isn't you know isn't a crazy amount. It's definitely a good amount. And then between the other three casters, 
there's three more damage spells basically. So there's only seven damage dealing spells, and I'd say on average, you're getting you're probably getting three or four of your smites off, and then maybe one or two of the damage spells. So um, I guess that is spam, so to speak, but it definitely isn't as devastating as you know some of the other like the amount of points investment just to get those four smites is a lot. And I actually feel like a lot of the list, the other components of the list is where um, you know they do a lot of the work as well. So the, the spam is, I'd say, a component, but it's definitely not the, the most important part. Like, each of the other components of the list work pretty well, and they each pull their own weight. So um, it's not, it's not one-dimensional, I guess, in that, in, that, in that regard. I hear you. So it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, the, the smites are kind of a tool in your toolbox that you can, you can go to when you need to use it, but you've got equal components in the plague bearers that you have, which is 60 of them, uh, and then you have you know, the blood letters, uh, a, another big unit of uh, pink cores that are in there. So you have tons of bodies that are on the table that you can kind of shield your mm. important stuff like Aramon and your demon princes and your sorcerer behind. For sure. And I think, um, you know, my list, it, it, I would describe it as a very toolbox list. It has a little bit of everything, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of combat, you know, a little bit of psychic, a lot of board control. And it just really does each of those things uh, pretty well. And, you know, it has just enough of each category to kind of make sure there's no situations that I don't have something to, to deal with. Um, and I think that's, that's, especially in this kind of current, current meta with 40K, I think having that toolbox list is really important, especially if you're playing a single tournament where you, know, you never know who you're going to be playing. Um, you never want to be stuck playing a matchup where you just, you just have no, no options and you're just kind of stuck there um, and you're going to lose automatically. So. So is that kind of um, the kind of the design philosophy you have when you're, you know, if you're prepping for an event uh, and you're looking at your list, are you trying to have as many different tools or are you trying to, you know, I know other people will try and mm -hmm. just kind of focus on doing one or two good things really, really well and then kind of design the rest of the army to support that? Yeah, I think um, for me, <clears throat> I never want to be in a matchup where I feel like I don't, I don't have options. And so you know, I've played a lot of games with this list. Uh, I've been playing this kind of chaos, psychic, um, you know, versions of this list uh, all season last year, um, right up to the LVO. And then I played, obviously, this most of the start, start of the season with it. And the list has changed a ton. But the core of the list, which is always, you know, board control, uh, psychic powers, strong combat elements, and then shooting as needed. And there's been times where I've switched in things in and out so that I've kind of uh, you know, played a game where it hasn't gone well or I've lost, and I always ask that question, why did I lose that game, and is there something I can bring into this list that would stop me from losing that game in the future? Um, and sometimes it can be something as simple as, uh, you know, bringing in another, you know, my Dreadnought, which uh, I kind of swapped in um, right after uh, my last tournament, or it could be something that's more substantial um, depending on if there's big weaknesses in your list, and I think that's I'm just format that you're going to play and understanding things like terrain and the players that you're going to play I think those are just really important things as well so you've kind of if I if I caught that you you know one of my questions I was kind of going to get to was you know was your was your list kind of like this ever-evolving concept or was it something that hey you looked at Adepticon and I think they're kind of notorious for having kind of like their own twist on the on the rules um mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've kind of had this original design that just this whole time you've just, you've stuck with it. You've been continuing to just kind of tweak it 
and you make one or two little changes to it um, versus making drastic overhauls or drastic changes to just the whole list altogether. Yeah, so just to give you an example, um, you know, I played a similar style list about seven months ago, uh, and I had one unit of play rare. And then over time, and I had cultists, right? And then over time, as they kind of the nerf back kept hitting my cultists, you know, the cultists kind of disappeared from the list and then for more plague bears. And, you know, at one point I had, um, you know, I had um, Zangors in my list. And again, you know, those filled a very specific role. And then, you know, I played with those, you know, a ton of games of Zangors. And I realized that, you know, the thing I needed them to do in my list, they weren't doing reliably. So, you know, they came out, the blood letters go in. And uh, just over time, there was like, you know, I'd say you could probably almost, if you looked at all the lists I played in all the tournaments last year, you know, every tournament, I'd maybe have one unit different or two units different, it, but the core of the list kind of stayed the same, which was, you know, a few Demon Princes, Armin, um, you know, bodies, and then just the right kinds of, uh, you know, just the kind of extras or whatever I felt works in the format. Funnily, funnily enough, though, um, the I actually won a, a like a 48-person major uh, at the start of March with this exact list, so I didn't, I didn't even change my list, and uh, the list I brought to Adepticon um i remember looking at the missions and, and thinking you know i don't really know what to change that will help me in these missions beyond just playing the list that i know and that i'm comfortable with so i'm literally just going to run the same list and so you know that's exactly what i did and i mean it ended up working out for me yeah. um but definitely you know i think i think knowing the list knowing the list and what everything does is sometimes more important than changing that list and always trying to be trying to try new things i think being so comfortable with this list having played so many games with it I think that in itself is an advantage and it's not to be uh, undersold the strength of that practice with that list. So, so um, I guess mm -hmm. one of the things that I'd be curious about is um, from the point you started and the list that you've been running, um, how, uh, how long did you, do you think it took roughly to get comfortable with it where, you know, I would imagine in the early, the early portions you were, you were probably dropping matches because you're, you know, you're, you're finding all the mistakes you make as a, as a player. Um, but getting used to the list, like how long just with the initial list do you think it took before you were at a point where you said, okay, I feel confident going into like, say, you know, this, uh, this GT this weekend where I think I have a chance at winning it. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, so I, I just, to, just to be clear, um, I used to play Warhammer Fantasy competitively. So I've always had that competitive spirit in me. Um, but obviously, and, and I actually played 40K in third edition. That's, that's uh, I don't know if I'm showing my age here, but uh, so I used to play uh, 40K competitive, uh, not competitively, but I used to play 40K in third edition. And I hadn't played since third edition when I decided to pick up eighth edition. And I, the reason I picked it up was because um, I took one look at the Magnus model and I was like, I have to play Thousand Sons. These are the greatest things ever. Uh, and I have to paint this model. So uh, my first tournament, my first two tournaments, which were kind of uh, right at the start of 8th edition, uh, you know, I just took kind of what I had painted at that point because I hadn't really painted a ton. I was like, I just want to go, go play, have fun. Um, and then I'd say, um, you know, obviously after my first tournament, I kind of had that like, oh man, I miss, I really miss like competitive like playing competitively like the first few tournaments I was like I really I forgot how much I love doing this um and then from there you know I I tried uh I didn't actually like play Thousand Suns primary because at that point uh Chaos Space Marines were still pretty good because you know cultists hadn't been nerfed and um this was like uh during I mean if you think about 
Adepticon last year. Nick Nadavadi almost won with his Cal Space Marine kind of poxwalker cultist fam. So, you know, they were so good about a year ago, Cal Space Marines. And my list didn't have any demons at that point. And then I slowly started to kind of migrate that way. Um, I think the biggest thing with, and I remember distinctly uh, that moment where just like you said, like I felt, oh my God, like I think I'm getting how to play this army. And this was um, probably closer to around uh, June last year. Um, so I'd played probably three or four tournaments. I'd play a lot of practice games. And <clears throat> what I realized was that uh, I started to understand the biggest, the biggest thing I started to understand is not just what my army did, but how it did against other things. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's, it's important to know your list, but it's really important to know the things like uh, the capabilities of a lot of, you know, common units. So what does my, what does a demon prince do against a space marine character? What does he do against a smash captain? What does he do against the knight gallant, right? So understanding those, um, those kind of scenarios and those, uh, and, and understanding which way those kind of fights would go, that's when I really feel like I started to get way more confident in how I played because before that, you maybe make a move and you're not always sure how it's going to turn out. You don't have that confidence that, hey, if I do X or Y, I should get this result. But once you start understanding other people's armies a lot better and start understanding what kind of stratagems they have, what kind of combat and shooting capabilities they have, then what that does is it actually lets you know what your list, how you can push your list in certain areas and where you need to uh, not be as aggressive. And I think learning that pace and learning that tempo and, and how to really um, kind of figure out if I'm in certain situations, what are, what are the expected outcomes? I think that's when, it, you, for me, it really started to kind of, I could then look at the board and look at the game state and say, okay, these are the, the bad decisions and these are the good decisions. Because if I, if I follow this path, this is the expected outcome. And if I follow this path, this is the expected outcome. Now, of course, we play a dice-based game. So you know, you're going to have those times where your dice fail you. But I mean, the good players put themselves in positions where even if your dice are below average, you're still not, you know, you're not going to lose the game over it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that probably happened around June last year for me. Um, and, and, the, and, and, and the specific example I always give is, is my Demon Princes because <clears throat> when you're starting out with Chaos and you have Demon Princes, they're the greatest thing in the world. They're like, these are awesome. Like, I want to just send them in. I want to go, you know, chop suey everything and, you know, just destroy everything. But the more you play with them, the more you realize how fragile they are and how the timing of like, say, when they go over and into combat versus when you hold them back for an extra turn, that timing is so important. And uh, learning that timing and learning those the capabilities of something like a Demon Prince is, it was such a big kind of eureka moment for me. And uh, I definitely felt like uh, that was kind of the turning point for me. And uh, I think the, I hadn't won a tournament at that point. So just so you know that uh, the, I've, I've been a, my whole Warhammer career, uh, even when I played Warhammer Fantasy, I was always the four and one, the five and one player that I would get, you know, top five, top six, but I could never, I never could finish and close out because I just didn't have that like last five, ten percent of like killer instinct. And uh, I didn't actually win my first tournament strictly on battle points uh, until like a month ago, which was the the GT I played in before, where I won, uh, I went five and zero, oh and I won a best general, kind of best overall. So uh, definitely. Gave, that gave me a lot of confidence as well. So, I gotcha. Um, do you 
do you think the the best way to actually get to that point where you get through all of those results and you get that comfort with the with your um, your options and your toolbox as you as you said earlier um, is just trial and error or is there a better way to approach that um, I mean I think so I think the uh, the the benefit of trial and error is that um, I think you always learn more from playing a game than talking about playing a game. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of theory crafting and there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I'm on a lot of, you know, I read a lot of competitive 40 K and, you know, various things and, and everything is, is either the worst or it's the best, right. Or if no one will ever take it and no one was ever going to use it, you can never be successful with it. So I think the trial and error is definitely an important part of it. But I also think like, you know, we play a game that is involved with lots of numbers. It involves a lot of objective, determinations and I think you can make some determinations of like what's good and bad um, kind of objectively just by looking at um, you know the kind of raw I guess called like the raw math yeah. um, but at the end of the day I feel like yeah playing is going to be your best and most important kind of um, asset and at the end of the, and, and on top of that I think talking to other players and, and like if you're a new player you know a lot of people kind of uh, you know, they look down upon like net listing, but uh, the benefit of net listing is that when you play that game and you know it's a good list because someone else has wanted, wanted you to use it, then you kind of remove one of the, um, the variables. Because right. when you're trying to learn to become a better player, it's often hard to tell, you know, is it my list or is it my play? And by playing a net list to start and kind of learning the fundamentals, I think what you can do is you can, um, then you know it's actually your play that's causing you to not play as well. That's a great, great suggestion. Um, I've always said that one of the one of the things you kind of also learn um, is just kind of how to how to spot where the mistakes are that you're making themselves, and that gives you the you know kind of like what you were talking about before, where you could start you know finding okay, well I know not to do this next time, or you know you start learning you know the little the little tricks some some of the armies have, things like that. Um, just kind of going back to Adepticon here real quick. So um, the, the, the tournament itself, did you feel like, um, maybe a dumb question here, but th did you feel like um, the tournament was weighted more towards infantry heavy lists? And do you think that kind of factored into what you saw there? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, say weighted towards, but I mean, half the missions are progressive and half of them are in-game. And in both those lists, you need, you need to be able to control the board. So, um, you know, with a uh, progressive objective, you know, board control is super important throughout the game. So having infantry, having lots of bodies is, is really important. And then with the end-game objectives, um, you know, you don't necessarily need a lot of bodies to control the board early, but because of how killy the game has become. And what I mean by that is like, you know, things die very quickly, you know, disappear very quickly. Um, if you don't have a lot of models and you don't have that like alpha strike, even if you, uh, it's, it's very hard to stay around with enough stuff uh, till turn six. Like, I don't know how many, like there's very few games I play where like both armies have like all the stuff left at turn six. Usually it's like, you know, either it goes really, really far one way or really far another. And I think, um, you know, I think, I think, I think 40k as a whole right now, 8th edition favors infantry. I don't necessarily feel like it's, uh, 
an Adepticon thing. I feel like as a whole, the meta, uh, the way it has evolved right now, it favors either lots of infantry, lots of bodies, or the opposite, um, which is, you know, things like uh, Eldar with a lot of movement tricks or things like Pacific Um because the game just really does rely on um, board presence uh, in all formats, basically. So I think, I think having those elite armies like Marines, Marines, there's a reason Marines and Chaos Marines are not doing great. It has to do with their elite nature and a lot of the fact that, uh, you know, guardsmen can kill anything in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, we, one of the gimmicks I think we've seen that in a way kind of speaks to being able to kind of cover the board, maybe not necessarily sit in one spot like infantry would be, but um, at least I've, I've seen a lot of people kind of um, spinning off like Alex Harrison's list that we saw at LVO where he had lots of uh, the Eldar flyers. Um, do you think that's kind of like a fad that's just going to die out here? Or is this kind of something that until GW does something like, hey, we can charge through them or, um, you know, people just kind of adapt and just bring lots of, you know, stuff like demon, like lots more demons princes that you can go and assault them uh, or things like that. So I think, I mean, first of all, I mean, Alex Harrison is an uh, incredibly good player. So um, you always got to take with a grain of salt when you see guys like Brandon Grant or Alex Harrison. Um, for every one of them that got to the finals of LVO with that list, there's like five other people with similar lists that went three and three. So, you know, there's always something you got to, and, and I think a lot of people lose, lose sight of that. They're like, oh, this, you know, this player X got to the championship with this list. It must be all the lists, or it must be those lists is the greatest. Um, I've played that flyer list now three times, and I'm three and zero against it with my list. And let me tell you, it, it's like incredibly hard to pilot. And I guess uh, that's, that kind of makes sense because it's a flyer list. But uh, yeah, it's incredibly hard to pilot. And um, at the end of the day, because you don't have a lot of uh, board control, uh, I think certain lists will do very well against it, and certain lists have no answers to it. And I think that for me is the biggest issue with that list. It, 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 it isn't so much that it's, you know, hard to kill these flyers. It's the fact that certain lists, it just doesn't make a very good interaction. So almost every other type of list, you know, um, that doesn't include flyers, your opponent can always interact, interact with your, your army. Flyers have this kind of unique rule where it's like, hey, half my army can't even touch half your army. And that I feel like as a as a fun factor, as a and not only that, but now my half the army can also like impede your army by like move blocking it, by by uh, zoning you out, all those kinds of things. So I don't feel like that's as a game mechanic. That's a very good mechanic. I feel like that's definitely the kind of mechanic that GW doesn't want in their game because you get these games where it just it's not enjoyable for one player because they can't do anything. Um, so I definitely feel like that. Um, that's more of the issue than it is a specific flyer list. Uh, the list definitely has its weaknesses. And I think if you're playing specifically competitively and you're playing in a mixed format, um, there's going to be matchups. And, you know, my game, my game five, or sorry, game seven was a perfect example against Chris Block. And he had six flyers and three ravagers, mm-hmm. but it was end game objectives. So he had, he had basically wiped out almost all my army. And I just knew I had to basically, uh, get on those objectives turn six and I'd win the game. And it didn't matter that he killed all my infantry except like two bomb letters. It didn't matter that he had killed, you know, two of my demon princes. 
all that mattered at that point was like the objective. So I think the objectives are important because it helps balance against those kinds of lists. But also, I think as a rule, there definitely should be looked at a little bit. I, I don't think anyone looks at that list and says, hey, this is a really fun list. I can't wait to play this. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I always uh, I always think that it's just kind of weird that the flyers can somehow be up in the air, but blocking something from running under it to, to charge something behind it kind of thing. It just seems kind of like a, a weird sure. loophole in there. But um, I, look, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we also spend our disbelief quite a bit. We're playing 40K with super soldiers, but there's certain things that make you go, okay, I know this game as a whole doesn't make sense, but this really doesn't make sense. And I think flyers right. being able to move block infantry, supersonic block, literally the rule is supersonic. They're moving at supersonic <laughs> speed, and they can somehow stop infantry from moving underneath them. Like it, it literally just makes no sense. <laughs> yep. Well, talking a little bit more, uh, maybe digging in here a little bit more on like specific matchups for for chaos. Um, if we're thinking like demons and and thousand suns here, um, you know, I kind of. I kind of keep an eye a little bit on the stats a little bit. Uh, 40kstats.com is a great site that, you know, the, the guys take all the time to kind of mull the data over. Um, you know, for me, it kind of gives an idea of, you know, where where are your big challenges? Um, so I look at like the head-to-head -head stats. Um, one of them that I kind of picked out was that Yanari is kind of um, the sore thumb for Thousand Suns. And even to a degree, it's, it's on the very lower part uh, of the matchups for demons. Um, do you kind of find that this is the case when you face them and, it, you know, are there certain things that you do that um, kind of, uh, you know, if you, if you have had good outcomes against them, like what, what have done well? Um, and is it basically the fact that they have some of the, you know, if they're bringing Farseers and stuff, they have some of the best psychers in the game and that kind of, uh, in a way, kind of counters what Chaos likes to do? Yeah. Um, honestly, like, I've had a, a, um, a love-hate relationship with Yunari. I think when I first started playing against them, I definitely felt that, like, oh, my God, um, how am I going to beat this? Um, and I definitely lost a lot against Yunari. I think in the last, like, four or five months, both as my list has evolved and as my ability has evolved, I think Yunari has become much less of a concern for me um, because of the fact that my list has tools to deal with it. And because I think that um, with against Yunari, I feel like you have to do things a very specific way. You have to almost play differently against Yunari. And I think a lot of players maybe don't realize like how how to how to play differently against Yunari versus any other, even just even regular Eldar. Um, with Yunari, it's, it's a very different um, kind of type of game. And um, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at that. So. Uh, my, my, my record against Yunari lately has been pretty good. Um, but as always, there's, there's such a good army and like again, with a good player, um, you know, they're, they can be really tough to beat. Um, so um, it, it, I don't necessarily feel like Thousand Suns have a big weakness unless it's like pure Thousand Suns. And then definitely I feel like they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be hurt quite a bit. So that's an interesting thing you just uh, mentioned. Um, I'm probably going to circle back to that, but uh, staying on Yunari here for a second. Um, is it, just asking, you know, just maybe just a really dumb question here, but is it, are the two basically the main things you've got to look out for, basically, the fact that Yunari can intercept and, you know, their seven-inch soul burst range, um, where you just have to know how to pull your models off the table? 
are those the two primary things that are kind of going through your head? Yeah, I mean, that whole pulling models off the table thing, um, it's, it's a very like, it, it's not one of those things that's like explicitly spelled out in either the Unari book or the rule book or any of the books. But if you actually read the mechanics of how Solvers works, um, that's how it's always functioned. And a lot of actually Unari players didn't realize that it functioned that way. Um, and uh, I think that is a, you know, playing against Unari, like you literally got to spread out as far as possible so that they're not able to get those soldiers and you got to remove casualties very carefully and you got to remove them very deliberately. And I think that's a big thing and it sounds easier said than done. Um, but if you can do that and basically negate their soldiers and prevent them from soul bursting, if they come into you at the end of the day, they're Eldar and they're going to die really quickly. Demon princes love shining spheres. Trust me. Um, and then on the flip side, I think, uh, I think on the flip side, um, regarding, uh, um, what was the other topic you mentioned? Uh, the other one was the, the, yeah, they have that intercept ability where, you know, you, you, if you deep strike and they can see you, they have the ability to shoot at you. Yeah, I actually don't find that ability that, I mean, obviously if you have a unit of 10 Reapers, 10 Reapers with guides shooting at anything is like, you know, bad goodbye, um, yeah. is, is, ba is bad. I think um, where you got to, with Yanari, I think it is really about uh, slowing down the game and maybe not having, um, like making sure you have tools to hurt those dark reapers because you remember they can't they can't fire and fade into a transport right so if uh and and if they fire and fade behind cover where you can't see them well then they can't see you either to shoot you so um you know so generally with reapers which are the only thing i'm really super scared about because generally your shining spears any other units won't be within six inches of a farseer to be able to use that ability and it's usually the reapers that's the one thing if you can take care of the reapers in your list you can beat them and for me um you know uh having things like my contemptor with the conversion beamers having horrors having uh even even like a well-placed uh uh corsicating beam which seems like a lot of command points for one unit but if you can pull two or three of those reapers off turn one before they had a chance to move uh that can definitely be a huge difference like especially mm -hmm. if they're shooting twice that's that's actually 12 shots that you've removed from um you know that, that we're gonna be hitting you otherwise so i think the reapers are the, the hardest thing to deal with especially in my style of lift because i have a, a lot of plague bears and strength five ap3 or two damage weapons mm -hmm. uh are counter counter plague bears pretty well um but at the end of the day i think if, uh, you can also psychic the reapers um and doom and jinx like look doom and jinx are probably two of the best spells in the game so uh, uh, the fact that they can zoom from 24 inches outside of line of sight means that it's really hard to stop it. Um, right. And sometimes you need a little bit of luck. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, your best bet against Unari is just being super smart and careful about uh, order of, order of uh, removing models and, and different combat. So just kind of uh, switching to one other matchup, the obvious other big one that's on the uh, at the top of the charts right now are Knights. And, you know, despite the fact that I think everybody kind of knows that something is probably coming in the, the big fact, which at the recording right now is it's not announced yet, but we know it's probably a week or two away. Um, but in the current meta, the way we're playing against them, um, 
you know, what are, do you pretty much just ignore the Knights and go for everything else in the game? Uh, or do you kind of, do you ever try and use like Trees and on the night when they take relics or things like that? So against a single Castellan, so like the, the Castellan list, the big boogeyman, I literally don't even, I don't even pretend, I pretend like Castellan's not there. Um, against uh, a large amount of infantry and, and especially plague bears with uh, minus one or minus two to hit, the Castellan is, is killing three or four models a turn, if that, um, even with, you know, especially if you can give them uh, a four plus plus or minus two to hit. Um, and, you know, you got to be careful of that shield breaker missile. So that's, uh, I have a lot of uh, opinions on whether you should take Armin on foot or on, uh, on disc. And the reason I always like take him on foot is because you can deep strike him. So against the Castellan list, he's not on the board turn one. And then when you do put him on the board turn two, you can deep strike him in the cover, which means he's got a six plus save against the shield breaker. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but there's been times where I rolled that six plus for his armor save that saved his life. And it's like, yeah. it's been enough to like swing games. So um, I definitely feel, and then, that way, too, you'll always get a chance to cast with them. You can give them Glamour if you really need to. Um, and, and then with Glamour and in cover, he's actually pretty hard to kill um, from a single shield breaker. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like Castellan, for this that kind of smite-heavy board control list, isn't a, isn't a worry. Um, the knight list, and then, and then you kind of get this, the opposite side where it's like the knight list with three or four knights. And for those, I actually am not scared about either because right. they took so many knights that they have no screens. So as soon as that screen goes down, those smites are taking wounds off your knights. And if you can kind of hold the line and survive, uh, you know, you can three or four smites in a knight plus all your other damage spells plus any other, like you can basically pick up a knight a turn or, or three yeah. quarters of a knight a turn. And uh, they're just not going to have the board control to win. I find the scariest lists are the ones that maybe have a cheaper knight. So like, uh, a Crusader, I think it's the one with the Battle Cannon and the Avenger Gatling Cannon. So they're they're high number of shots. They're still cheap enough that they're gonna have a lot of other stuff, and um, they're gonna be able to basically do a lot of damage. Um, and you know they can basically uh, you know rotate Iron Shields for one command point. They can uh, you know they don't have the Shield Breakers, but they're right. just gonna just do a lot of damage over time. And then there's 1,600 other points of their army that are also gonna be doing damage. But generally, honestly. Uh, with my corn prints especially, and with my smites, I'm generally not scared of knights or knight-heavy lists. Um, I think it's actually one of the better matchups for a thousand suns, um, a thousand suns heavy list. Very cool. Um, so just kind of on that topic of a uh, thousand suns. Um, so one of the things that ITC uh, or Frontline Gaming announced uh, this week was. Um, the changes to the faction or best faction scoring. Mm. Um, you know, what, uh, what's your take on that? So, uh, so I have two minds of it. So the competitive player in me, the one that wants to win as many things as possible, I'm like, yeah, that sucks. Cause now I have to, if I want to really win a best in faction, I'm going to have to play pure army. And knowing that I'm a competitive player and I want to win tournaments, uh, unless a pure army, a pure chaos build emerges, that's like, far and above better than everything else i'm always going to have uh, i'm always going to use the full range of chaos you know units at my disposal which means demons thousands of death shards uh, regular chaos marines so from the competitive side i'm like okay that sucks but it's not going to change how i play um from the kind of plus plus gamer because uh, i feel like i'm a pretty well-rounded hobbyist like i like 
I read the flop, I paint a lot, um, and at a high level. So, so I always like, like the, I have, I have that soft spot in me of like the, the fluffy wargamer. Um, I think it's good because I actually am excited to see more people play the pure armies. And I think that's going to be a really good thing for the tournament scene, especially the like mid-level tournament players, the guys that are maybe finishing four and one. Um, at the end of the day, the, the, the super casual players that maybe complained a lot about this faction mixing, look, they're probably not going to win best faction anyways because another good player was going to come in and beat them at it, even if there was pure faction. So even if it is pure faction, you're still going to have these really good players winning those lists. It's not all of a sudden going to make a lot of, you know, middle-of-the-road players start winning best in factions because you're still going to have good players playing in each of those brackets. Um, so I'm excited to see how that changes the meta, and I'm hoping maybe some, like, cool lists emerge out of that. Um, and I'm excited, actually, to be in the big chaos pool now and fighting all the best chaos players versus last year, which I was just fighting for best thousand sons. So, right. um, so I'm, I'm excited in that regard. Um, and at the end of the day, like, I think best in faction for the ITC is a cool, um, a cool little, like, bonus. But ultimately, you should play what you have fun with and what you enjoy. And don't let anyone, like, faction shame you or shame you because you're using, you know, multiple <laughs> books. That's exactly – I mean, if you read any of the stories, it's always Marines fighting with guards, fighting with knights, fighting with, you know, planes, demons, right. and chaos war, chaos space Marines. Like, people are always like, oh, that's not fluffy. I would argue that it's actually more fluffy to play mix because you never read – there's very few stories you read in the, in the background where it's, like, just some guardsmen. They're always, like, you know, got Marines or some Titans or, you know, they got Sisters of Battle coming in. Like, that is – the cool part about the, the the background in 40k is that you have all these kind of different forces and and and, and groups fighting all together uh, against each other. So I actually I, I don't I don't I don't I don't I reject that argument that like playing pure list is somehow more fluffy or more in the background. Um, if you read you know just read go read the Horse Heresy and any of the 40k books, it's demons and chaos marines and cultists and you know uh, all sorts of craziness all fighting together. So. I feel like that's that's a little bit more reflective of the the true background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that the um, you know for for players that would possibly getting be getting into competitive play for like you know their first time, do you think that like looking at best faction is like a good stepping stone to say, hey, let me let me try and go win that first before before I try and take on winning like best overall at these tournaments or things like that? Because I know I know that tends to be something that people kind of uh, you know try to decide against am i am i trying to win tournaments or am i trying to win a faction or am i just trying to be like the best thousand sons player yeah look let's be real to win the best in faction for the itc even if it's pure you're gonna have to travel you're gonna have to probably at least play in at least seven or eight tournaments because you're not going to win it just with the trtts you're going to have to do very well at those tournaments right and you're going to probably have to, and one of them is going to have to be a major, one of them is going to have to be a GT, a few of them will have to be RTTs. So just to, just to even win a best in faction, for any new player, that's probably out of your reach anyway. Because most new players are not going to come in and say, hey, I'm going to start playing Space Marines and then win all these tournaments at Space Marines and then go for that best in faction. I think, in fact, it's probably like a little bit of a lost cause for them. So I, I personally would say play what you enjoy, play what's fun. And then when you get to that level of play, where you feel like you're starting to win tournaments and then you want to be like, okay, so now I'm starting to get your top 10 in tournaments, top five in tournaments. I'm starting to get become a better player. 
then is when I would look and say, hey, now what do I want to do with these newfound abilities of mine? Do I want to go and try to win best in faction? Do I want to go to try to just win the ITC? Do I want to go win a major? So I think that for me is a, is a makes much more sense than kind of coming in as a new player and saying, I'm going to go for best face wins this year. And it's like, dude, like, have you ever even won a tournament? Right? Because the guys yeah. that are going to win that are top of those factions, there's the guys that have five first place finishes at majors and GTs. It's not a bunch of 10th place finishes winning best in faction. So now if you really want to like just say, oh, I want to be part of that faction ranking and I want to see how well I can do, I think that's another good good goal and say, hey, I just want to do as best as I can with space greens and see how I stack up against everyone. I think that's a great goal. But I, I wouldn't as a new player go in thinking, oh, I'm going to win best in faction. It's, it's just it's super unrealistic. It's not going to happen. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so last last little bit here. Um, the most fresh stuff that's out there right now is just all the new Chaos Space Marine stuff that's dropped. Um, is there anything from that that you're looking at and you're kind of thinking, huh, that might that might actually have a role in my army? Yeah, so um, I right now I'm playing around with a few Demon Engine lists. I think, uh, so first of all, I want to say the new models are absolutely gorgeous like i could not be happier with oh, the, yeah. the new models that that they came out with but the, i literally like died uh of happiness when i saw the new abaddon so i have been i've been i've been like hey when when's my new abaddon coming out when's my new abaddon coming out the last like year and a half um you know i've been making all the jokes all the memes all that stuff right so uh i'm super excited about the new models um i will say i'm a little disappointed in um I think GW missed the uh, missed a great opportunity. I think literally just having a reprint with the new units in it feels a little bit um, underwhelming when they could have taken another pass at stratagem, another pass at legion traits, <clears throat> maybe another pass at some of the special abilities, and and really given the the the, the things that were not getting used a little bit more of a boost. Um, but now it's like we're stuck with this version two of the yeah. codex and you know that you're now not going to get a new codex for two, three years at this point. Like we're, we're definitely not getting a new codex uh, until all the other codecs we get kind of the, the 2.0 treatment. So it's a little disappointing to kind of get a, uh, it kind of feels like a half, uh, kind of a half measure here. With mm -hmm. that said, um, I'm really liking, there's the two things that really stuck, uh, stood out to me was the uh, demon, soul forged demon packs. I feel like, with how cheap the demon engines got in chapter approved and uh, the new Lord Discordant, which I know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like complaining on the, on the internet about, Oh, he's like a character with 12 wounds. He's going to die. Right. I think that's, that's a very valid criticism, but he's also 160 points and uh, you can take three of them. And so I'm planning to actually do a list with three of them. Um, and instead of thinking like, Oh, he's a character, he's going to die. I'm going to think of like, I just have three of these demon engines. They happen to be characters, which is cool, but for the purposes of my list, that is totally meaningless that he's a character. Like that's actually not not why he's part like his characterness is not is not kind of um, consequential to the whole role he plays in the list. For me, I'm just like, hey, here's a hundred and sixty point demon engine. That's awesome. That has like twelve attack, uh, shooting, it's you know, it can do all this two plus armor save. Um, so for me that's kind of how I'm treating him versus like uh, all these people complaining about uh, yeah. him not having nine wounds. Um, the filers, I know everyone's got a lot of hate on the our, our, our crabby uh, 
our crabby robots, but uh, <laughs> they're so cheap now. Like uh, a defiler with uh, a scourge is like 140 points, and it's tough to summon 14 wounds. Uh, can move like 14 inches with the detachment, and it has like nine strength, nine attack, plus three right. damage, plus a battle cannon, plus an auto cannon, plus like you know. And so uh, I'm 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 playing I'm testing list right now with three of those and three Lord Discordants. And that whole detachment, so that's, that's basically like 70 wounds, toughness, six and seven, uh, so, uh, you know, five plus save, plus like they all regenerate one wound. And it's like 600 points. It's like 600 points. It's not that expensive. Um, so uh, I think it's less than 800 points for all that. So then you still got 1,200 points of other stuff. And that's actually, in, and uh, um, I'm definitely trying to fit in a, the new Havoc, the new, the new Terminators are so cheap now at right. 29 points a piece. Like they're, they're awesome. Um, some of the new Black Legion stuff is great. There's a few relics in there that I think comboed up correctly can be super devastating. Um, so I think uh, so I think there are some nuggets in there. Um, there's also a lot of duds. Like the cultist detachment is just totally useless. Like <laughs> I don't even know why they they wasted paper on that. Um, I really I really wish they had included more some thousands and thousands of death guard stuff in there. But um, at the Adepticon preview event, they said that there's gonna be more. Um, more Warzone books coming like Vigilist. So I'm hoping maybe Thousand Sons and Death Guard get a little bit of love in maybe the next version of Vigilist, whatever that may be, because I really feel like there's some opportunity there. Um, I'm also kind of upset that, like, like I know Thousand Sons don't get a lot of the uh, stuff that the other guys get, but they do get most of the Demon Engines. Uh, they do right. get Forge Fiends and Smaller Fiends, and I think they even get Spiders, I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I don't understand the logic where they're like, well, they can't get the Lord Discordant or they can't get, um, you know, some of the other things that, uh, that came out. It, it, the, the logic doesn't hold for me. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's my one disappointment. Like even uh, Death Guard get possessed, but they don't get greater possessed. So I was like, okay, well, should they also get greater possessed at this point? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely a few nuggets in there. Um, and I think, again, I, I'm going to play some lists, see how they go. Um, and with a rumored rumored Castellan nerf upcoming, I feel like a vehicle-heavy demon list will have even more uh, more room to kind of do its thing when it's not not going to lose two models a turn to, uh, to a Volcano Lance. Very cool. And uh, just saying right. thank you again for taking the time to meet with me and uh, letting us just kind of pick your brain on your thoughts on where, where the game's at right now. And uh, best of luck to you in the... Uh, when's the next tournament you're going to? So I'm actually... <laughs> I, uh, I think I went a little crazy this year. Um, I have a, a GT in two weeks, so uh, not this weekend coming up, but the following weekend. And then uh -huh. I have a 100% major the following, uh, the, the weekend after that uh, on the West Coast uh, in Vancouver. And then uh, May, I'm in a, I got the Canhammer Team Tournament, which I'm really excited for. And also I'm going to Bay Area Open this year. And uh, so yeah, my tournament schedule is already super packed this year. And I think I might have to actually cut, cut a few down, but uh, you know, when you're on that, I feel like I'm on a hot streak right now. So it's like, you know, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Just so. ride it, man. But uh, thanks for having me. I, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm always happy to talk 40K. Thanks, Ben.